Would you like an opinion on a financial matter you're dealing with? Whether it's about retirement, investments, taxes, or 401ks, Scott Hansen and Pat McLean would like to help you by answering your call. To join Allworth's Money Matters, call now at 833-99-WORTH. That's 833-99-WORTH. Welcome to Allworth's Money Matters. I'm Scott Hansen. I'm Pat McLean. Thanks for joining us. That's right. There's really nothing going on in the financial world. Oh, my. So we think we'll skip the show today. <laughs> oh, my, oh, my. My, oh, my. But it seems to, Scott, it, it, it does seem that, you know, with the banking... Who knows? Turmoil. Who knows where we are? The, well, the government is pushing in hard to try to stabilize. I think so. You don't think so? Well, for sure. I mean, Yellen pretty much said, we're going to do what we need to do. Yeah. Which... Again, I feel bad for the small regional banks, though. Well, I think that's the story that's not being told much. And we're gonna, in a moment, we'll have a, a guest on who's the president of a... Yeah. a community bank and the importance of the small regional banks that the play in local economies with small and medium-sized businesses you look at business loans pat of under a million bucks let's say the vast majority of those are done through the community banks that's right the local bank that's right the bank of whatever right the local bank that you not the national bank it's the local bank the national bank's not they're not going to lend three hundred thousand dollars to someone starting a new business i don't even know these people and the regional bank's like, well, that's Jimmy, Jimmy's dad. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Our kids played lacrosse together, right? <laughs> right? All that stuff. <laughs> that matters. Businesses are made up of people. And small bankers like to know the people they're lending the money to. The big banks, you're a spreadsheet in most cases, unless you're really, really super rich. Well, yeah, the feds, of course, they didn't raise rates quite what people were expecting uh, a couple weeks ago anyway. So raised them a quarter of a percentage point this week. Market sold off a bit, then rallied back up. It's um, yes, it's probably going to be. It's hard to stay invested. It is hard. It's really hard. It is. It's it, so tempting. It is. Like, it was tempting to put your money in the bank. Now you're thinking, I better spread it out over banks. <laughs> oh, they like treasuries. So, yeah. Anyway, we're going to talk about that, and we have Krista Snelling joining us. We'll take some us. calls as well. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. If you want to join us, 833-99-WORTH is our number. And um, love to take your call. And so we're going to talk. We thought it would just be kind of interesting to have a, a guest on. So uh, Krista Snelling, she is, um, well, we've known Krista for almost 20 years. Pat, Pat and I started a reverse mortgage company in, the, in 2004, and she was our CFO um, and then... Uh, Genworth Financial uh, bought the company in 2007. Uh, and then Krista went on. She was the CEO, I mean, sorry, the CFO of Five Star Bank. Today she's president and chief, in- chief executive officer of Santa Cruz County Bank. So Which is bank. a regional bank on the coast of California. Yeah. So, Krista, welcome to the show. Hi. Good morning. So, you, the last few weeks for you have been kind of boring, like... Uh, <laughs> going in late, <laughs> heading home early yeah, type lo- days. Yeah, lots of golf. You know. Yeah, yes. <laughs> you don't even um, golf. Do you golf, Krista? No, no, I don't. Okay. I don't. Um, yeah, it's been busy. It's been busy. I've had a lot of uh, client interaction, but I enjoy that. But it's been um, it's been stressful. So let's kind of talk about you, you know the, the most surprising for, thing. To- yeah, for, so just for a little background, what's the size? So you were the CFO at Five Star Bank. Then you moved over to, um, you're the chief executive officer and president and member of the board for Santa Cruz County Bank. How large are those banks, just to give us some ballpark as far as deposits or whatever? Yeah, so Five Star Bank has just over $3 billion uh, in assets okay. at the last reporting period. And we here at Santa Cruz County Bank have $1.7 billion. And will uh, you explain you know, to, in $1.7 billion, will you explain to the listeners when a bank says it's their assets, what exactly does that mean? It means that the banks, typically, you know, bank assets are cash, a securities portfolio, and a loan portfolio. And the loan, so, and portf- the loans typically being the biggest one. And the loans would be to local businesses or individuals. Is that correct? Yes. So if we went and 
tore apart a two billion dollar book of, of banks as they have to and you don't have to speak to, to santa cruz county or five star but if a bank said we have two billion dollars in assets would 1.6 billion of it be in outstanding loans and the other four- yeah what's the what's the typical mix yeah what's yeah yeah, that sounds about right. So typically, if you look at, you know, assets, liabilities, and equity, right, is the three main things on a bank's balance sheet. Typically, equity is 10% of assets, and then the liabilities are make up the difference, right? So if it's $2 billion, you'd have $200 million in equity, $1.8 billion in loans, and then you, I'm sorry, in uh, deposits, and then you typically have a 90% loan to deposit ratio. So you would take that 1.8 times 90%. That would be your loan portfolio. And then the delta would be cash and security. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. And so the typical, a typical community bank would have roughly 90% in loans to their customers. Not quite that high, but correct. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I would say, you know, between 70 and 90. Okay. And, and and Silicon Valley Bank, from what I've been reading, it seems like it was a minority. Was that oh, correct? Oh, very much so. Yes, very much so. I mean, Silicon Valley Bank was a minority for a couple different reasons, very much an outlier. You know, they had a um, highly concentrated deposit portfolio, right, in, you know, with all the VCs and, you know, that kind of stuff, right. highly, highly volatile. And they also had a securities portfolio that was, uh, very long dated, um, and so when rates went up, they, um, you know, they had a lot of unrealized losses. And then as their deposits started running out, they had a liquidity crunch, had to sell their securities portfolio yeah. at a giant loss, and then that's what triggered the whole thing. So you know, community banks generally, right? I don't, I don't, I think I can say this. I don't know of one. Uh, that has the kind of concentration in their deposit base like Silicon Valley Bank had. It was a real outlier in that way. Well, not only de- it, 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 their deposit base, but also their, their, the people who took the loans, right? They were it's pretty much in one, yeah. it, all startups. And, and Krista, you yeah. talked about unrealized. So essentially, for the listeners, they're lending in money out on, they're, they're lending money, excuse me, they're actually taking and buying long bonds, which are 10-year treasuries, and they're getting the interest rates from that. And when the interest rates rose, all of a sudden these bonds fell in value, and they're earning less money than they're actually paying out to depositors, correct? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Do you have That's to- That's not sustainable. Do you have to recognize, <laughs> if you don't sell the bond, do you carry it on your balance sheet at current market or nope. at maturity? Depends. Okay. Uh, there's two ways to do it. You can classify your securities as held to maturity or this is where, you know, I'm ex-CFO, right? <laughs> but they have, you can classify them as held to maturity or available for sale. If they're held to maturity, they're on your books at cost. Okay. And if they are, uh, have uh, available for sale, they are at fair market value. So most of their securities we're in held to maturity. Yeah. And so and, they didn't have to realize the, the decline correct. in value. Yeah. So on their, until they sold. Yeah. Until they sold. Right. So if you looked at it from the outside, you're like, based on their accounting, everything looks fine. And then someone said, yeah. we need to sell this. And they're like, Oh, based on our accounting, everything is terrible. Right. So Krista, tell us about what the next weeks and months before we get there, Scott, can you give us a little history as to why Silicon Valley, the 16th largest bank in the U.S., wasn't regulated like a large bank? That was the most perplexing thing to me, which is why – how does the 16th largest bank in the U.S. go under and the regulators say, well, it wasn't a large bank? Uh, that is a very good question. Um, you know, and going back to the laws, you know, under Dodd-Frank – there were rules about regulating banks over uh, $50 billion. And then a few years ago, they upped that threshold from 50 to 200. Yeah, lobby. 250 billion. Yeah. And so, you know, Silicon Valley Bank was in that sweet spot, finger quotes here, of, you know, right in between when those regs changed, they were under 50 billion. The rule changed to 250. They pushed for the rule to change. Yes, 
Yeah. They were involved in lobbying that. And did they ever get over $50 billion in assets, or they always just stayed right underneath? Uh, they were in the 40s, from okay. what I've read, you know, prior to that rule. Yeah. Yeah, prior to the rule. Mm-hmm. So they get a, they pushed for a change. So instead of... I, I miss an, uh, But I, I don't know if I understand. Once that rule went into effect, were you grandfathered into that? No, they they pushed the limits. Yeah. So they, there was heavy regulation on the large banks, yeah, 250. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and and uh, about 50. And so then they they argued to, that that it was too low of a number. Small banks like this don't don't pose any systemic risk to the the, the industry. So why why should we be oh, regulated? I understood that. Yeah. But and then their assets swelled after that. Oh, so they were grandfathered. No, it was going forward. Yeah, going forward. Yeah, got yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. Well, that is, um, and so they they lobbied and changed the rules. So, do you think that they're going to change the the rules back? Uh, there is, uh, it appears to be that there's support for that. Okay. You know, from what I'm reading in the, <laughs> I'm like, uh, you know, I don't know. It's all you know, congressional action. Yeah, so but there you are- and your, so you and your peers, uh, other people, what what do you see the next weeks uh, playing out for for banks? Because here's what I kind of have a concern of. So you're let's say the medium sized companies out there that have um, independent boards of directors and stuff, and they go to the CFOs of these companies and say, Hey, wait a minute, where are you guys? Where are you guys keeping your cash reserves? They say, oh, I have it at the local, the community bank. Well, how much do you have in the account there? We have $5 million of cash reserves. And like, well, wait a minute. You can't keep $5 million in some little bank because what happens if they go under? Is that the kind of conversation that's happening right now? Ten times a day. Yes. Um, and the what we're doing is uh, we are working with a company called Intrify. And, and most community banks are, are doing this as well and mid-sized banks too. Um, where basically what Intrify is, it's a, it's a network of 3,000 banks uh, across the country where we share deposits back and forth in order to, um, you know, get full insurance coverage. So, like, for me, right, if, if I have a client who wants to deposit a million dollars in my bank and wants to have full insurance coverage. FDIC I, insurance, right? FDIC, just to FDIC, be clear. FDIC, yes, full, yes, full FDIC insurance then what would happen is they would deposit a million dollars with me and I would put it into the network. And then this network has, you know, legal agreements in place and that million dollars would be farmed out to four different banks in $250,000 increments. And then it has a reciprocal piece where I in turn would take for $250,000 deposit from other banks. So essentially so, the FDIC is insuring all depositors. So why wouldn't you just, yes. right? It, 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 so everyone's moving to this, correct? Yes. Yeah. So what, what's the point? I mean, so I think I'm having a relationship with Santa Cruz. Oh, I love that Krista Snow and this is the greatest bank in the world. And I've got $10 million there and it's all FDIC insured. And Chris is like, yes, it is. But behind the scenes, I'm trading this 250000 deposit yeah. with Bill Smith's bank, and he's sending me the two fifty. And isn't the idea behind having limits on the insured amount so that there's at least some sort of due diligence that goes into before you make a large deposit in an institution to make sure the institution's viably sound? Yes. <laughs> so you're, what's the point of I mean, you might as well go for it. Invest in risky is take... But, but, but that's how it's but, structured but, today. But Krista, don't. So essentially, what's going to end up is that all deposits are going to be FDIC insured. Yeah, I mean, and Intrify is, you know, I, I've been telling people Intrify. I mean, this is a genius idea, and this this um, service has been around for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, there's a fee that banks pay for this, right? So. Intrify was uh, in the right place at the right time, and there's other networks that do it as well. So this, is so this is going to take put a hit on earnings for most community banks. Just the fact that they're going to have to suddenly pay a, a fee to yes. up their insurance amounts. This is a, a yes, yeah, but you know, I mean, for us and everyone else, it's better than you know having the deposits walk out the door and people take them to too big to fail banks as an alternative. Um, well, that would be crushing on the local economies. So, what do you think is going to? Yeah. T- so what will it do to the local lending? Like, will you, will will small community banks 
small regional banks tighten up their their lending uh, to small businesses? I mean, probably is the answer, you know, depending on what their liquidity position is, right? Because at some point, it's just math, right? Like that you have to have deposits in order to fund loans, right? <laughs> Let so, me write that down. <laughs> you, you're, uh, this is just math, right? I've said this, this sentence, you know, a whole bunch of times in the past couple of weeks, but, you know, keeping your deposits locally, you know, I, I liked your guys' lead-in when you were talking about, you know, the impact of community banking, because the things that I've read, you know, floating around in our ethosphere recently is that 40% of loans made to small and medium-sized businesses in this country come from community banks. So, you know, if you were a person trying to decide, you know, where to bank, you can, and if you have the alternative to go to a too-big-to-fail bank, or you can take it into, you know, a fully insured deposit service with a community bank, you know, you're really doing a service to, you know, your area and your community. Krista, when you were the CFO at Five Star Bank, which is a local Sacramento bank, which is where we are based, I would send business to you left and right. Um, and, yes. and people that would start businesses or had a large, uh, you know, with a major bank, I, I said to them, there's going to be a time in your career when you are running your company that you want to be able to call the people that are running the bank and work with them in a situation. And you don't even know what it is, but you're going to call Wells Fargo or Bank of America, which is fine. I said, that banker there isn't going to know you or be able to actually adjust their processes because you're asking for it. Yes. No, that's completely true. And that is and that is one thing, you know, going back really quickly to the Intrify thing. You know, even though I, I hear the, you know, it's it's insured and all of that, but the relationship that you have, even though legally those deposits in that network are not on my books, you still deal with me. Right. And people with my bank. So it feels like I'm your bank, even though legally it's not. But they're kind you of know, on, but, aren't they kind of on yours? Because there's a reciprocal there's agreement. There's a reciprocal agreement. Yes. You send 50 yes. million across the, the network and 50 million flows back to you, right? Right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so when you need something, you call me. Right. But, just, but, you you got to yeah, love government regulation of things, right? The government does all this stuff yeah. and, and people find workarounds. That's how. Yes. It's very clever what the what these these folks have done, um, but your point though about you know at community banks and you know more regional sized type banks is having access to decision makers is a big deal, and and you know where this really came to you know into play exactly what you were saying, Pat is in PPP, you oh. know. People could you could get people on the phone that, at Santa Cruz County Bank and at Five Star Bank during PPP, and you know. I don't know that you could. Uh, Krista, I, I don't remember know. talking to you personally I, at that time. I don't know how many times I called you through in the PPP with <laughs> friends of mine that, and I told them, she'll get it done for you. But when it's all over, you move 100% of your baking relationships <laughs> over to, right? Yes. And you did. Yeah, it, yeah. And we did. And we they did. were happy. I mean, they were happy. Yeah. Um, let, let's, so, Krista, we miss working with you. That was many, many years ago. Um, and I have sat with Krista on a couple nonprofit boards. She is a dynamo. Um, in fact, you were like voted Silicon Valley up and coming. What were you? Uh, Power 100's business I was leaders. I the Power 100. Wow, right. Krista. And to think I knew you when. <laughs> yes, that's right. That's right. Well, it's good to talk to you guys. Thank All you, right. Krista. Thank you. Best to you. Yeah. Appreciate, okay, you. Appreciate, thank you. appreciate you. Appreciate taking some time today. But it, yes. uh, She's sharp. It's just, it's. <laughs> This whole Interfi thing is so interesting, right? Because like, had Silicon Valley Bank participated in this, there wouldn't have been an issue. That's right. But, but why would they? Because um, Interfi costs between 12 and a half and 15 basis points. So a basis points is one one hundredth of a. Well, it does today. It does today. Yeah. That's right. So if if there's, I don't, I'm not an expert in that particular field, but there's probably some competition, and if the, which will drive the price down to where it's going to be. And that's kind of how small. capitalism works, right? It's, uh, but that's a that is a drag on. But you're right. If if the intrafide system, it, at that point in time, if everyone's doing it. What's the point of the, why not just FDIC? Well, of course. That's the, <laughs> right. 
<laughs> because look, you're 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 the president of a community bank. Someone says I have ten million dollars. I want to. I need to deposit. I'm concerned about FDIC insurance. Like no problem. We're going to use the system. And then essentially, you send the money out to all these other banks scattered across the country. You could care less about their financial stability. That's right. Because it's the FDIC and the government's going to come and back them up. That's right. So, what's the point of having any limits when effectively there's a system in place where you can have every dollar FDIC insured, whether you have. 250,000 or 250 million. And Scott, this is what we saw at Silicon and Signature Bank was a direct result of the changes that were put in after the last banking crisis. And then they set these limits at 50 million and then they moved them to 250 million. And quite frankly, it was called the Dodd-Frank bill. Who was on the board of Signature Signature Bank after he left? um, Barney Frank. Yes. Of Dodd-Frank. Of Dodd-Frank. Of Dodd-Frank. Was on the board of Signature Bank. Yeah. That just failed. So, and by the way, Signature Bank would have been the story had Silicon Valley Bank not failed first. Just like no one remembers Alan Stanford, who was like a Bernie Madoff, but he came, but he was found out about three weeks later. And it was $5 billion loss or whatever it was. It was it massive. Was big. It was, it was big. very big. But it wasn't as big as Bernie and came... Just in the aftermath, same thing with Signature Bank, which is a, would be a, a huge story yes. had Silicon Valley Bank not failed first. And I think just by the nature of the kind of clientele at Silicon Valley Bank, I'm sure there's pen, plenty of people in the, the country like, we're bailing out these guys? Venture oh. capitalists? <laughs> right. <laughs> the billionaires? The guys that get the carried interest to recognize his capital gains rather than ordinary yeah, income? Those, <laughs> those guys? <laughs> The startups, the billionaire guys, that uh, 28-year-old billionaires that work in their pajamas, those guys? I'm driving my truck. (laughs) You you wonder how that's going to play out in the next election. Oh, my. Oh, my. But here we go. Um, And we will take calls here in a moment. But Silicon Valley Bank was being monitored by the Federal Reserve. So the supervisors at the Federal Reserve Bank of San Francisco, they're the ones who oversaw um, Silicon Valley Bank in 2021, okay, two years ago, they issued them six citations. The bank did not fix the vulnerabilities. And so in, by July of 2022, Silicon Valley Bank was in a full supervisory review and was ultimately rated deficient for government and controls. It's placed under a set of restrictions that prevented it from growing through acquisitions. So the Fed said you can't buy any more little small banks. Um, uh, yet they were, <laughs> they were still just kind of let to continue to run the but, bank. Scott, do you that that doesn't remain quiet for long? That you this has happened to you, even if the regulator said, "Don't tell anyone," and Silicon Valley Bank management said, "Look, this is really bad for Silicon Valley Bank." Everyone quiet. That doesn't stay quiet. So you wonder. Like so, Peter Thiel was the one that actually t- tweeted and started this run on the bank, forty-two billion dollars in a single day. Do you wonder how long people in Silicon Valley n- knew that their the the money uninsured deposits were at risk, or did it break that day? And someone said, "One of the regulators quit working for." Uh, the regulator or someone left the bank and said to the friend, by the way, that place over there, it's burning down, but you can't see any smoke yet. You well, it's just the whole thing is fat. And according to this article, it, the leaders were assuming that a higher interest rates would be helpful for the bank. How is that? <laughs> because if you, if you can earn more uh, than you're paying and you know, as interest rates rise, the, if you're, if you, we, most of us have accounts still, banks, checking accounts, whatever, they're still paying very little because the banks are very slow in raising that interest rate. So they have an opportunity to earn a higher higher rate, um, but they're very slow in raising the. But but your but your long your long bonds. Well, I, don't, I guess they weren't thinking about that because <laughs> it didn't matter because you could just classify them as held to maturity, so you haven't lost a dime. Apparently, that's what they were thinking. Well, that and is, when you have all the depositors in the same industry. You've got great risk. And suddenly have a recession in that industry, which is what's what we're in a tech recession, right? Uh, it's really fascinating because 
No more IPOs. We're getting all that fresh cash. The venture capital stuff had kind of dried up, so they're not getting that fresh cash. So suddenly the deposits aren't coming in. Because people are actually taking money out in order to to keep their businesses alive. And there's not a lot of new money coming in. And this is what's called the burn rate for small startups. So it's like, how much cash do we have left before we blow up? Yeah. What a joke. The whole the whole thing's a well, the, it's the, so frustrating. The, the government has failed us. Yet again. Well, I'm not going to go that well, far. Well, come on. But most certainly, the, changing the regulations from $50 million to $250 million is just... Billion. I'm sorry, billion. Yeah. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll start taking some calls. Uh, if you would like to be a guest on our program and have a question for us, we'd love to hear from you. Our contact number is 833-99-WORTH. Uh, you can also send us uh, an email at questions at moneymatters.com. And um, we'll be right back. This is Allworth's Money Matters. Can't get enough of Allworth's Money Matters? Visit allworthfinancial.com slash radio to listen to the Money Matters podcast. Welcome back to Allworth's Money Matters. Scott Hansen, Pat McLean. Let's uh, head to the calls here. We're in California. We're talking with Joe. Joe, you're with Allworth Money Matters. Good morning. I have a question for you. Um, Back in 2021, uh, my parents passed away within two or three weeks. But having said that, sold the home, and after everything, made about a $775,000 profit. Immediately put it with my um, 401. K, a, a small 401k that I had. And that was in January of 22. So having said all of that, we've lost $75,000 um, out of that. So and, Joe, Joe may yeah. I, you put it with the same, so you, you, you weren't able to take that $775,000 and put it in your 401k. I assume you put it in a brokerage account. With the same company, right. with the same company, right? Okay, right. That's that's what I did. Yeah. Okay. Joe, he, he, here's what's hard for your situation. It's always hard. It's funny because I I talk about this with our team. Like it's really hard when someone inherits money or suddenly has a uh, a windfall from somewhere, because particularly if they haven't had all these experiences living through market cycles, you put you take you get this cash. You do what you think is a prudent investment, right? That's going to do well for you over right. the long term. And then as soon as you invest, January of 22, is like the top of the market. Things start falling from there. You've got over years of experience now of nothing but pain and misery with your portfolio. That's yeah. correct. That right. sounds familiar. Right? So, well, 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 let me just say this. We never, both, both my wife and myself, we have some very good 401ks. Okay. From our job. So we never really paid attention to the the rise and fall. We were working. So, you know, we never really paid. An, we should have maybe, but we no, never well, paid a lot of attention to the rise and fall. Are you retired now? Yes, we retired last year. Okay. So you're, you're, well, one, you've got a lot of time now that you didn't have before to sit and monitor things. Right? Um, right. You're not contributing like you were when you were working. And frankly, it's the worst financial downturn we've had in 15 but, years. But but so the, the, your question is: Should you worry or not worry or what? Well, let me just say uh, let me just say this: We it was money that I never thought about having. So I mean, we with or without the money, we were we we're going to be fine. Okay. But still losing seventy five thousand, yeah. and maybe still losing. Um, and what, I mean, one of the reasons the uh, advisor said was that, you know, bonds usually don't take a hit and they took a big hit yep. last year. Is this so, portfolio mostly in bonds? <laughs> yeah, mostly in bonds. Yeah. Yes. I mean, last year was literally the worst year in recorded history for bonds. It was a nasty year for bonds. Now, the bonds that you earn your portfolio today are earning a much higher interest rate than they were a year ago. So, so there's a, some some solace there, I suppose. Um, uh, do you do you is your mortgage paid off? Uh, no, probably have about six years left. How much do you owe in your house? Uh, probably around about one hundred and seventy thousand, give or take. And what's the interest rate on your home? 
interest rate is probably around, I think it's around 4 and 4.5%. 4%. 4%. 4%. Have you thought about just paying off your, your mortgage? You're retired now? We, you know what? We thought about that. but you know, And I know this is something we needed to, should have asked another day. We were speaking with our CPA. Um, and that probably is the question we should have asked. Uh, and we didn't. I just, um, you know how when you, I mean, you guys are young probably, but when you get to a certain age, you, you, you want to keep all the money. But, you know, n- neither one of us has anybody to leave the money to. Oh, you have no children. Um, no children. So, and how old I mean, are you, Joe? We're 67. Well, I'm 60, Joe, but thanks for calling me young. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I, around noon, I start feeling young. When I get up first thing in the morning, I don't feel young. <laughs> I hear you. <laughs> um, what, tell us about the rest of the financial situation. Your 401ks, ballpark, pensions, balances. social security, that sort of thing. Well, everything looks good. I mean, we're making more money retired than we did when we were working because we own Social Security Plus. We both have some pretty great pensions. So technically, and and we have good medical plans. So, you know, we're doing okay. So that, I mean, $700,000, I mean, if we didn't have it, we still no, 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 okay. okay, but we, yeah. we want to make sure so, we, we want to make sure we preserve it and grow it. And, and how much money did right. you have in your four? I assume that you retired either from a large company, state, or uh, municipality, yes. or the federal government. Um, yes. How how much money is in your four hundred one k plans? Both of us together have about I would say probably about a million, a million and a half, a little less than a million oh and a half. Oh my gosh, you guys are great savers. You are great savers. So here is, and you are right about, you know, your portfolio and you being fine. If your income's higher now than it was in, in while you were working, there's two things I would tell you. One is spend more money. Actively try to okay. spend more money. Because you're probably not touching your 401k, right? No. Yeah. But and you're going to be forced to take withdrawals in about five years. Yeah. And so spend more money. Um, I pay the, off your mortgage, and I would pay off the mortgage too. And and you could make an argument that you're better off in bonds than you are in this, but it's kind of a wash. And what you mm-hmm. did your did your advisor do some financial planning to say, all right, he, you inherited these dollars because uh, your f- folks passed away. Like here are some different scenarios. Here's what your, your life's going to look like in five years, ten years, fifteen years, twenty years. No. Okay. So I, I think a process like that would be helpful for me because investments are really based upon time horizons. Two things, really. One is time horizons. That's when you're going to need the money. And second is is how much ups and downs you can withstand. Or and the typically, risk. The better, you under, the better you can comprehend your portfolio and understand what's going on, oftentimes the, the more you're comfortable with some ups and downs. So, for example, if you own the 500 largest companies – which over the last roughly 200 years have done about 6.5% higher than the rate of inflation, around about 10% a year. Like, if, you're, if you realize that, but one out of every three years goes down in value and you have a, a down year, it's like, all right, well, that's how this thing works. And I don't need the money for 10 years, so I don't really care what it's worth today. But without that kind of planning, um, everything you look at, it's like what the value today is highly important to you. So... If you back to your question, if you were in my office today, the little I know about this short conversation, I would recognize all the losses in the portfolio. I'd go to the advisor and say, "Let's recognize these losses." And so, what you'd probably say, "Find a new advisor because they don't do the planning." He's in my office. Okay, now. Okay, (laughs) assuming he was in my office, (laughs) which would be the assumption that he was unhappy with the existing. And obviously, he is because he called us and not the advisor, uh, or at least a second opinion. I would recognize all the losses in the bonds. Uh, I would pay off the mortgage. Um, I would actually probably start a distributions from your IRAs. yeah, you have no one to leave them to either. Yeah, and, and if got, you had five kids, would say do some Roth conversions, but I wouldn't even bother with that. Yeah, and and so I would probably start distributions from the IRAs, and and quite frankly, the only reason I would do that um, is so that you and your spouse would spend the money. 
and, and and let me tell you why you or, have. I mean, if if there's without any children, you might say there's there's might be some charity or nonprofit or, or church that's something that's close to your heart. That kind of planning makes would come into play as well because you can take distributions from from your IRAs, require minimum distributions, have them sent there directly without having to um, record them on your taxes. There's some. Well, can I ask you just one quick question? Because you know you're right. We've thought of. Everything, I mean, we do. We give a lot to charity. We support um, th- two churches, and we. And anyway, make a long story short. I'm the one. I'm nervous because, you know, I, I'm worried about ten, fifteen years from now if I have to. And granted, we both have uh, long-term care as well. But I'm just worried about will we have enough money? That, that's what a financial you plan know, does. Yeah. And it'll yeah, give you okay, the confidence okay. level. Like, okay. like a meteor can fall from the sky <laughs> look, look, and hit your house you today, know, right? You know, I suppose so that's possible. Actually, so, in, you know, we've done studies on, um, on retirees. Like, what makes for happiness in retirees, right? What, what, what are the four indicators, right? And, and mm-hmm. a, big, a big one is confidence about their financial it's future. It's not how much money you have. Nope. It's not actually how much money you have. It's the confidence that you have in your plan with the money you have, right? And then the others are social purpose and health, right? And so if you look at the four components of happiness in retirement, right? It's purpose, people, confidence in your money. And confidence in your health. And confidence in your health. And so you're missing You've got plenty of money and intellectually you say, I know I probably have plenty of money, but you, you lack the emotional confidence in your own, you know, view of your world. And what a financial plan does is you can lay out all the different scenarios. They're, they're real time. They're, I got to tell you this, Joe, based upon your situation, <laughs> if the financial, if the whole financial system collapse, you would be like the last one down. I'm coming to your house. I'm seriously. Right. <laughs> You've got pensions, Social Security. Are the pensions uh, state of California? You're in California. Are they state of California pensions. Yes. Okay. You've got cost Fifth of living economy adjusting. in the globe. They have taxing authority. Like you, you have. You that's have, not going away. They're cost of living. Adju- you have cost of living adjustments. You've got long term care. You've got Social Security. Bunch of money in the bank. Yeah, you're 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 fine. So, back to your question. Recognize all the losses in the bonds. Right, just call them up, and all that does is I'm buying one bond, and I'm selling one bond. I'm recognizing the losses on paper, and I'm buying. But this probably shouldn't all be in bonds. It should not be in bonds. And if you want, let's assume you did your portfolio and you wanted to say fifty percent in in equities and fifty percent in fixed income, real estate, and whatnot, you would probably diversify a little differently within the four hundred one ks and have some more tax efficient investments. On the side, are any of these municipal okay. bonds? You know what? I, I, I'm ashamed to say I have no idea. That's right. That, that, look, look. That's you hiring an advisor. That, that, that's that's, like, that's so why you hired an advisor, and yeah, yeah. and that's, you shouldn't be ashamed to say that. You know, uh, I'm ashamed to say that I actually try to fix my own plumbing and oftentimes fail. <laughs> Been there, done that. You're fine financially. You're fine financially. Recognize losses in that. Rebalance the portfolio. Pay the mortgage off. It's going to give you a degree of confidence confidence. and comfort and safety and security. It's not all going to go away because the reason you've got you saved so well is because you're always a little worried about the future. You show me someone that doesn't worry about money, and I'll show you someone that doesn't have any. I'm going to have to use that one. Well, it's true. It's true. And and quite frankly, you should have a conversation with you. If you had confidence in your financial situation, you'd be, you'd have the ability to spend more and enjoy the fruits of your labor. This money you have is the way you stored your labor or your parents or whoever you inherited it from, right? This was bonus. And, and there's got to be a degree of guilt watching this thing fall by $75,000. You're like, you know, you inherited from a parent or brother or sister. His parents, both parents passed parents? away within yeah. weeks of each other. So you, your yeah. mom and dad, they worked hard for this and you know how hard they worked. And there's a degree of, of, you know, stewardship that you have over these dollars. Yeah. Yeah. Right. 
yeah. I, I talked to go talk to a good certified financial planner who can do who's a fiduciary who can do a good planning with you and look at a variety of different scenarios. And I think it'll put some comfort. And to Pat's point, I would also I just paid the house off. I would. But it, okay. congratulations to you and your wife for uh, just great savers, hard workers. It's you've done well. But- yeah. Thank you very much. I appreciate appreciate your advice, and we're going to take right. it wholeheartedly. Thank you, Jim. Thank you guys. Have a great day. All right, thanks, thanks Jim. Glad you, you know, it's interesting, Pat. Uh, we get pushback sometimes for uh, telling people to pay off their mortgage because we're just big fans. You hit retirement. If you've got oodles of money, then it, it's not going to make much difference whether you have a mortgage and have the dollars invested elsewhere. And if you don't have much money, it's probably better that you don't have to worry about having a mortgage payment, right? So I look at this situation. He's in really good financial shape. One can run the numbers. And say, it would make sense. You can take the cash, invest it, even in treasury bills, and get a higher rate than what you're paying on your mortgage today. But who knows what the market cycles are going to do, and who knows how we're going to react as investors. Yes. And some might say, oh, Scott, Pat, that was bad advice. This person had a 3.5% mortgage, and you told them to pay it off, and now they can get higher interest rates. Well, you see what happens to bond portfolios. We just saw what happened. But, but Scott, the, the, the point, be, paying off the mortgage, the outcome is certain. It is certain. There is no question about w- making that was certain right. or uncertain. Money not going out is exactly the same as money coming in. And so he gives up a half or three quarter percent in interest rates. It's a mar- it's a who, rounding error. Who cares? He's, he's, he's maybe, holding. maybe. But who even? Let's say he gave up a, a percent and a half. That he's got a mortgage at four percent, and he could buy something that's yielding five and a half percent, which would be taxable. Which would be taxable. <laughs> so. But who cares? The, the idea behind the money is that the money serves you. You don't serve the money. And if it provides peace of mind, that has value. Same reason you would have insurance. That oftentimes we buy insurance, not because we can't financially afford it. It provides a peace of mind. Peace of mind. And he didn't need to buy long-term care insurance, but he did. Because it provided a peace of mind. Peace of mind. All right. Uh, let's continue on. 833-99-WORTH. We're talking with Ken Ken, you're with Allworth's Money Matters. Hi. Uh, should I? Hi, Pat and uh, Scott. I've been listening to you guys for a long time. This is my first time calling well, in. Oh, good. Uh, Thanks for calling. Yeah. So my question is, I know uh, in the past you have encouraged people to take Social Security as soon as possible if you know, you have a certain we've, network. We've encouraged people to take Social Security early. We've encouraged people to take Social Security at normal retirement age. We've encouraged people to take Social Security yeah. at age 70. It all depends on the situation. So my question is, uh, should I wait to take Social Security to maximize my benefit uh, to use as a kind of an insurance for long-term care? Uh, we okay. have about six million in uh assets uh four million in uh uh non-retirement and about two million in retirement and our spending is about a hundred and twenty five thousand a year and what's your income my income um i'm retired and my wife's going to be retired so my last year income was about a hundred and seventy thousand of that uh, about eighty thousand was in dividends and distributions. About ninety thousand was in actual wages. And that you said that was your last year. What will your retirement income between you and your wife look like? What I'm specifically asking for is: Do you have any pension income coming in? Um, I do not have a pension. I just uh, part of the non-retirement uh, assets. One point two million is in traditional IRA. And my wife ha- will have a small pension, uh, about $25,000 a year. She, she worked part-time. And of your $6 million in assets, is, is that including the primary residence? That does not include okay. my residence. Uh, the residence is paid off. And how old are you? Um, uh, 59. And my wife is 57. Well, I don't think that, uh, I, quite frankly, there's a good choice uh, chance that this decision will be made for you um, about whether you'll receive Social Security or not. 
so you, <laughs> we've had this. We don't spend too much time on this Understand, program again today. But 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 Scott, look at look at what's going on in France right now. Look at what is going on in France right now. They're so, trying to raise the retirement age from sixty-two to sixty-four. They're trying to raise the retirement age by two years, and there is mass protesting. Macron didn't think he was going to get the vote, and he, they, he, I don't know what they call it over in France, but basically an edict. He just said, this is the way it's going to go. And then he went to a no-confidence vote, which is essentially how the, 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 the politicians could throw someone He's a up. prime minister, right? Is, he, is that right? Is, is he elected? Uh, doesn't yeah, matter. No, he is elected. Not by the, it's the parliament doesn't elect uh, him. I don't recall him. that. No, whatever. I don't, I, don't, I don't recall. But the point being is that... Um, they're running out of money, and, um, and the populace is saying we're not going to put up with you raising their retirement age. We're, we're not. So <laughs> you're you're 59. You're going to turn age 70 11 years from now. That puts us in 2034. There are projections today, with no changes, that the Social Security trust fund is going to be broke sometime between 2032 and 2034. And if there's no changes, there's an automatic reduction of. 23%, 24%, depending on what numbers you look at. More than 20% across the board reduction by the time you are age 70. But it won't be across the board. They will look at income and say, anyone that has income over 100000 Chris Christie, eight years ago, was talking about this. A guy on the far right. like, So you want to take Social Security as fast as you can. Look, the long-term care, you're going to be able to fund it one way or the other. If you're worried about it, if you are worried about long-term care, you can buy what's called an asset-based long-term care policy, which is a life insurance policy. Full disclosure, life insurance, not for everyone, but it has a component in there that actually where you give up the earnings in the life insurance policy to pay for a long-term care benefit. I don't think you need that. They work quite well for those that want long-term care insurance. If because you, for two reasons. One, when you put the... Interest inside life insurance policy is not currently taxed. So the interest, you don't get the interest. Their interest is not going to accumulate in the policy because it's going to essentially pay for the insurance. So you're able to pay for your insurance with pre-tax dollars. That's one reason that they, they, they work. And secondly, it you end up having a really long waiting period, kind of like high deductible on a homeowner's policy, like high deductible, mm. because you spend your cash first. So you put a hundred grand in, let's say, and you've got these like long-term care benefits. Well, you end up spending your, your own cash first before the insurance company starts throwing in their cash, which is a form of deductibility. Yeah. So they, these actually for someone like you, if this is something you're like, I really want to protect that. I would look at that Avenue first, but I don't think you need that. But if you want the peace of mind, that's how I would do it. You and your wife should take Social Security the minute, and you can run spreadsheet after spreadsheet after spreadsheet, and you could tell me why it's better for you to wait till seven. Well, that would ignore the what's legislative. Well, we know that the Social Security trust fund will be there's there'll be less money coming in that's going out, and when that happens, there ha by the way it, it the current law is. There has to be an across-the-board reduction. So what we look at is say, first of all, if there's, will there really be an across-the-board deduction, or will Congress step up and do something? And if they're going to bail out, are they going to bail out everybody, or are they going to bail out those that really need the money the most? So I had this discussion with my wife of 37 years, who I cannot believe uh, – is going to be eligible for social security in a couple of years. <laughs> and I said, we're going to take your social security the minute you're eligible. We're not taking mine because I'm still working. And so I, it, there would be no reason to. Well, you couldn't get it. You yeah, well, that's, sign up and it goes back back. So you should take, you, you can make this argument about long-term care in your, in your mind if you want. Um, if you're not working, you and your, your spouse should take Social Security the minute you're eligible. And like I said, I don't think you need this asset-based long-term care, but if it makes you feel good, have at it. It's not going to hurt oh, you. Okay. It's not going to help you. You've got plenty of assets. But you yeah, should it was, be. Uh, it was maybe my wife because uh, her parents are in their late 90s and all her aunts and uncles are in their late 90s. So it really hurt. She was talking to me about it and she was, she's definitely going to outlive me. So she's concerned that by herself, 
Yeah, there's a couple. Yeah, well, that, that's a real. I mean, there's a couple ways to. One, you've got the assets. I mean, another. There's some other other ways to get some in, in assurances and insurances in place. I mean, you can buy a longevity insurance, which is essentially it's a deferred annuity that doesn't kick in until you're age, say, eighty five. But you don't 80. need that. That would just be the assurance. Well, but back to the point of if we're going to look at some things to provide peace of mind, that there may be an economic cost for it. That's right. another, that's another, and it's not a bad thing for, there's it, nothing wrong with doing things to get peace of mind. That, that You, I assume you've spent some time on your estate plan. Uh, yes, yes, yeah. Okay. I, I, I would watch uh, the unified uh, credit uh, closely. And that's this, how much you can pass away when you're, be, and, and see what they do with it in the next few years, because you may be affected if there's major changes. What, 11 million per person today? A yeah, couple, uh, uh, a little somewhere bit. Somewhere there, yeah. Yeah. So appreciate the call. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. All right, Ken. It's funny. We get this call, this question. Sometimes I'm like, why can't I have this question again? Because most people kind of know our opinion on it, but it's a major. Social Security is a, a, a large income source, regardless of your situation. Net present value of the stream of incomes over a joint life expectancy. I saw some argument. To, no, I don't even go down that path. <laughs> okay. <laughs> anyway, anyway, it's um. We'll see what this next week's like, and the um, this will pass. This too shall pass. This will pass. So if you think back to the financial crisis, remember how dire things looked? The Dow fell to 6,000-some-odd, right? I mean, it was, it was a rough time. We went past that. That ended. The Dow hit over 30,000, still over 30,000 today. We're in a rough patch. This will end. If you're diversified, you've got the right kind of plan in place, you will weather this just fine. If you panic and sell out, you will regret it. As people in every other downturn, they come to regret it later on. So. It's hard. Yeah. Anyway, it's good to have you guys. Hey, if you haven't taken a chance to give us a review, I uh, would love for you to do that. Um, just wherever you guys, if you, if, you listen, if you get to from Spotify or from iTunes or wherever you, iHeart, wherever you get it, um, please give us a little um, a review on that. We would appreciate that. And um, again, if you would like to be a guest on our program, if you send us an email, questions at moneymatters.com, we'll set up a time to get you on and answer your questions. So enjoy the rest of your week. This has been Allworth Money Matters. This program has been brought to you by Allworth Financial, a registered investment advisory firm. Any ideas presented during this program are not intended to provide specific financial advice. You should consult your own financial advisor, tax consultant, or estate planning attorney to conduct your own due diligence. 